Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Moms That Say Fuck, hosted by yours truly, Alana Kapitz and Dr. Dina Kulik. I'm Alana, the CEO and founder of Moms Toronto. We're on a mission to bring moms together and give them a great day, revolutionizing maternity leave. And I'm Dr. Dina Kulik. I'm a pediatrician and pediatric emergency medicine doctor. I provide no-nonsense child health advice, dispelling myths, and empowering parents to parent confidently and raise your healthiest kids. Together, we have six kids under eight. We are eager to chat with other moms, entrepreneurs, and interesting people about everything from sex to alcohol, sleep woes, and body shaming. We aren't afraid to talk about taboo topics or share our many opinions. We say it like it is and want to get to the heart of the issues facing moms and caregivers everywhere. Come join us. Welcome to Moms That Say Fuck, hosted by yours truly, Alana Gaffinson, Dr. Dina Kulik. Um, we're super pumped because we have a very cool and interesting guest tonight. But before I introduce her, I just want to read a awesome podcast review from Sarah Demick. It says, great for new moms. I've been listening to Dr. Dina Alana every night during breastfeeding sessions with a newborn and sometimes have to keep myself from laughing out loud. These ladies are so enthusiastic, genuine, honest, and freaking hilarious. I've also learned so much from the expert guests who bring so much knowledge and intriguing conversation to the table. These badass ladies make being a mom, which can be super difficult, a relatable experience, and I feel like I'm not alone. I love listening. Thank you, Sarah Demick. Thank you, Sarah. Sarah. We're badass. Like so it. be sure to subscribe. Uh, uh, excuse me. Rating review. Because uh, we're going to start reading this shit. And next, I'd like to introduce our very special guest this evening. We have Julie Rose. Hello. Hello. Yay, and I just have Julie. to describe who Julie is. Julie is a mom who has um, is dealing with a son or one child. Two, two kids. Two kids and one that it has a chronic illness. Yeah. Okay, so if you've ever, I'm, host, I'm holding up right now the um, January 2020 Toronto Life. If you've seen the um, Sick Kids versus Limits campaign, which is the most brilliant campaign ever, um, Owen is this gorgeous, beautiful Jerry Maguire looking kid um, with all the beads draped around his neck and it looks like a bunch of sort of punctures in his chest from a variety of treatments. And it says, Owen is, the why, is, is why we fight. Build the new sickkids.ca. And if you don't know, Sick Kids Hospital is the beacon of, of medical institutions for sick children on the planet um, and how lucky were we to live in a city that it's literally down the street uh, in Toronto. But if you don't know and you're listening from the States, literally people have come across the planet to come um, have their kids treated at sick kids. So welcome, Julie. Thank you. Excited okay. to be here. So Julie, you're our first, I would say, guest, our expert who is not a guest who is not necessarily a um, a textbook expert, but you are an expert in, in chronic illness. We've actually had a lot of requests for parents from parents and listeners saying, let's talk about this. So awesome. Why don't you tell us your story? Yeah. So I am a mom of two kids. I'm so of Kleenex in case. No worries. <laughs> my, uh, my daughter Zoe is six and we have a son, Owen, obviously, who is almost four and when he was born prematurely, we found out pretty quickly that there was something going on. Um, so it took quite a while. It took about a good year to understand that his gut was not functioning properly. And Owen is pretty much hooked up to pumps for 15 hours every day. Requires a lot of support. Yeah. Um, looks totally normal. Looks like nothing is wrong with him uh, when you see him from the outside and when you talk to him. But inside the, the sort of walls of sick kids or our house, there's a lot going on with them. And his little body. Yep. A and, ton. And you a patient of Dina? Yeah. So Zoe was, uh, was a patient of Dina's, is still is a patient of Dina's. And so Dina, I met her when Zoe was like two days old and I was bawling my eyes out because I didn't know how to breastfeed and right. I thought my kid was going to die from losing like four grams. And, uh, and yeah. then yeah, times have changed, yeah. right? Yeah. Grams, eh? <laughs> now grams yeah. like matter so yeah, much. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that relationship kind of started from, from when Zoe was born. And then Dina was crazy instrumental with mm -hmm. helping me with Owen, especially at the beginning mm -hmm. and advice and working through some of the problems and, um, and what we were doing. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Dina is a sick kids physician. Yeah. How does that work? Yeah, so I, mean, I didn't know them from a sick kids perspective. Okay. I don't think I met you at sick kids with Zoe, no? No, you just my practice. Just at your office. Yeah. So I work at sick kids. I'm an emerge doctor, but I'm also a primary care physician in the community. Right. I work at Kid Crew, which we've spoken about. Um, and so I knew Zoe even before Kid Crew at my previous practice. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Owen was born even before, again, before I was even in Kid Crew. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so yeah. what happens? Describe a typical, typical. So what actually is, is there a diagnosis for what Owen has? Yeah, so I can give you a little bit of background. Like he sure. was born super premature. So he was 29 weeks and wow. he was in the NICU for a solid eight weeks. At that point, we knew that something wasn't working. He wasn't mm-hmm. feeding. He wasn't tolerating things. Um, and then we were moved over to Sick Kids. And so at Sick Kids, we went through almost a year of trials and different strategies. Whether it was, you know, his uh, his airway, his lungs, his gut, like what it was. Um, so when we figured it out, it ultimately meant that we had to place uh, what we call it's a central line into his heart um, in order to give him his nutrients. So mm-hmm. he does not absorb food. He does not absorb the nutrients from um, from what he eats orally. So he can eat food. He loves to eat food, but mm-hmm. he doesn't gain anything from that. Mm-hmm. Um, what he does is he gains all of his nutrition through his bloodstream and um, through a bag that's hooked up to a pump, ultimately. In his heart. Yeah. Okay, so when you're so you're sort of LOLing about four grams with Zoe. Oh my god. When when what was the actual challenge with Owen? He just wasn't gaining any weight. He was totally failure to thrive. Like uh-huh. if, if when I look at pictures of him from he when he was eight months old, a year old, he looks like skin and bones, like you wouldn't even recognize him. Uh-huh. Um so he could not gain any weight and he was rapidly losing weight. Um, yeah, so it was by the day, you know, every gram mattered and still every day, uh, every gram matters because what we put in him is what he's supposed to grow. So when he doesn't, Mm -hmm. then we have to figure out why. Interesting. So like from the very beginning, I would say like he was very premature, but you know, I, I have a handful of kids that are, you know, 29, 30 weeks or whatever. And they often do have challenges. They have challenges with feeding because they're like little ones and they're not meant to be feeding yet. They're meant to be, you know, in us still. Right. So he had trouble with feeding and he had trouble with breathing. And there's a whole bunch of stuff, actually. And I don't think it was clear for quite a while that it was actually just his intestine mm-hmm. that wasn't functioning well. There was kind of like a lot of stuff happening with him. But yeah, the biggest thing was he wasn't gaining weight properly orally. And so you change your diet a thousand times. Like Julie was breastfeeding. And then she went on like ridiculously oh, restrictive God. diets and mm-hmm. she basically wasn't eating anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Um, Because we thought, we were hoping that it was, you know, we've talked, I think, before about what we call cow's milk protein intolerance when, you know, babies don't tolerate cow's milk that goes through the breast milk. Right. So you were dairy-free and you were soy-free and then you went, like, every allergen-free, right? So she ate basically nothing for a while uh, and he still wasn't gaining weight. And so the question was, why the hell isn't he gaining weight? And, I mean, none of us were thinking early on that his intestine just didn't work. Uh I mean, that's, like, super rare. And also, like, on the whole breastfeeding thing, with Zoe, I had a problem breastfeeding. When you have a baby in the NICU and you realize how important pumping and breastfeeding is, you want your child to have that milk. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you want them to have any type of food, really, anything that makes them grow. Mm-hmm. But it really became important. So when I got to Sick Kids and I found out that he couldn't have any of my milk, it was like... Devastating, Whoa, it right? was devastating. Yeah. Uh-huh. I literally like I had to donate it all. I bawled with the courier, came to the door and I was like sobbing on the floor. This random guy I'm like, take it, just take uh-huh. it. <laughs> but, but how many babies benefited from your milk? Right? Yeah, no, it, I mean, it was the right thing to do for sure. But it, you don't realize how important it is to you. Right. Of course. Um, when they can't have it. It's interesting. We ha- we actually had in earlier episodes, not that many recently, but early talks about a lot of breastfeeding saga and like the pressure to feed your kid and the pressure to feed in general. And it translates, I think obviously for your whole life is a relationship to food. And it's sort of this weird sort of, um, um, thread that has sort of come and gone through a lot of our episodes through women's relationship to food, us feeding our kids through breastfeeding, us feeding our toddlers through, you know, feeding intolerance. And here you are a mom yeah. who has to feed your kid through, through his two. bloodstream, through his heart. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah. And I mean, try explaining that to people who, you know, question you on why he's not eating or what does he eat? And uh-huh. you want to say like he has stuff through a tube, but like uh-huh. his nutrition comes through his heart or through, he's got a G tube as well in his tummy. Oh, wow. Um, what? It's called a G tube. Um, and okay. it literally is inserted and ends in his stomach. And so we're able to push some medicine and push a little bit of calories into him that way. And we also use it to open up his stomach and take everything out that he can't absorb. So when he eats orally and he wants to eat two slices of pizza Uh because, you know, socially it works for a four-year-old at a birthday party, we have to pull it out of his tummy because he just, he doesn't pass it through. Oh my God. So I think think I'll explain it a bit because I think people are like, what the hell are you talking about? And and Alana's looking at a picture of him, which is great. So you can see that he has like on his chest something taped, right? Yeah. And so that, um, I feel like if you Google like... 
if you Google his name, can you? you can he's on the like Sick Kids website and he's on the Foundation website. Yeah, like Owen's everywhere in Toronto. He's on buses. He's yeah. on huge. Uh, on this line, I'm gonna post it. Yeah, um, I'm gonna post he's, it. He's everywhere. He's all over the place. But anyway, but if you see a picture of Owen, there's a few of them, like not just this position, right? No, but there's tons. The one that's yeah. on the back of this Toronto Life. And I just happened to find this randomly yesterday, but I've seen him all over the city. If you look at his chest, you'll see that there's some taped stuff on his chest. This line goes into his chest, literally. And it goes to his heart. Uh-huh. So it's like the fastest way to give nutrients or calories or salt water, et cetera. It goes directly in. So that's it, called the central line. And then on his belly, he has a what we call a button. So there's like this little plastic thing on his belly. And that is literally a tube that goes directly into his stomach. So not into his skin. It goes directly into his stomach. Yeah. So Owen is the kind of kid that you can't even feed through the G-tube. So a lot right. of kids that can't take food orally, like a classic example would be a kid with, with uh, you know bad cerebral palsy. Um, if those kids can't feed orally because they're not safe to feed orally, we do a G-tube and we put their calories like Nutramagen or Enfamil or Similac or whatever the case is yeah. in a bag through a tube into their stomach. Uh-huh. So you're bypassing the upper, you know, the esophagus, the mouth, et cetera. Yeah. In Owen's case, he can't tolerate that. He won't absorb it. His belly gets big. He gets uncomfortable. Julie can speak to that more. But then he poos it out. He doesn't actually absorb it. So that is just for venting, which Julie can talk about. But he actually literally gets his calories through liquid, through this yellow bag stuff called TPN that goes into his chest. It's and you say he's on a pump 15 hours a day. What does that so mean? So that, that bag that Dina's talking about mm-hmm. literally gets strung through a pump. Mm-hmm. The pump is calculated for what he can handle and the rate that it can go through his body safely. Mm-hmm. And then that's connected to him. And so that's on for 15 hours. So we set him up after dinner and we take him off in the morning in time for me to get our daughter ready and bring her to school mm-hmm. so that he doesn't have to be out with everything all hooked up because oh that's God. a whole nother topic of conversation. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty wild. And like it's the learning curve to figure out, you know, how to manage, first of all, doing all the care, how to manage the conversations with friends and family, how to manage your own feelings about, you know, how your kid is being fed. It's all, like you said, it's that needle. Uh-huh. It's the up and down. Um, it's, and it's funny, Julie, because if, if like, I have to tell you, I have a kid recently who was in a body cast, right? And she broke her leg. So she had a femur. She was a body cast. Her cast went from her ankle to her nipples. And the overwhelming support that I got from friends and family, and we just got it removed 10 days ago, 12 days ago now, but my kid healed, right? Like we were in and out of sick kids in two days, but because you could physically see this baby in a cast, it was remarkable. And obviously we had a hard time, you know, adjusting, but we adjusted and it's over and now we're, it's, we're on someone like you, who's a mom, Julie, who's a fucking hero, who's like, has to deal with a, a sick kid all the time and it's chronic. And it's not something that you see so easily, right? Yeah. So I couldn't even imagine yeah. what that what that's experienced. Do you want to talk to that a bit about the visible and invisibility of it's, it? It's actually crazy. It um, It's hard because sometimes you want to scream it out and you want to tell everybody. You want to walk times, around with the sign yeah, on Yeah, and you want to be like, yeah. listen, like we have a struggle and I'm having a bad day and don't come near him, don't breathe on him and walk away. Mm-hmm. And other days you want to literally let him like go do anything he wants to do and be the superstar that he is. Okay, imagine. Um, so an example is, you know, we moved out of the city uh, two years ago and we're bringing our daughter to school and some days Owen's literally walking like it's a normal three-year-old walking to school with his sister Um, and other days he's hooked up because my timing's off and I need to get her there and I can't let her suffer because of her brother. Mm -hmm. So he shows up with these lines attached to him and me wearing a backpack with his name on it and me not being able to let him go. And Mm -hmm. you know, he, his attitude changes, everything changes and parents look at you and they're like, what the hell is going on with that situation? I see that kid running around all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of like, okay, like (laughs) looks and, you know, people don't want to ask, but then they want to know. And so it's one of those things where, yeah, I struggle greatly with, um, what do we do about this? So when we were actually asked to, to be in the campaign, it was kind of relieving in a way where I could be like, yeah, like blast it out there and let people know that like shit is not always the way it seems with clothes over top. Like there are things that go on and there are things that go on in our home that we have to manage and it may mean no play dates or our daughter changing her clothes when she gets home and extra sanitizer and no going in his room and things like that. Nobody knows that. Like nobody knows how we have to deal with him because they don't see it. And the reason why they're being so cautious, by the way, is because he has this thing called the central line, 
what feeds him is this thing going right into his chest. If he gets an infection or if that line gets even a little bit of bacteria on it, that can mean like risk of death actually, but the many hundreds of admissions that he's had because of infections or fevers, like risk of infections, <laughs> yeah. fevers, et cetera. Yeah. Cause he's high risk of getting a very terrible infection because of the line. So you moved away from Toronto. Yeah. We, uh, we actually lived really close and yeah. He was in sick kids for nearly 18 months. We were in and out, but mm-hmm. like it was, it was a long you 18 there. months. Yeah. That's a lot of beads on that. It was neck. insane. Yeah. Um, and my husband and I kind of just made the decision that we were going to like live life and we want him to do anything and everything he can do. Like uh-huh. the kid plays hockey right now. Like uh-huh. it's, we do whatever he can do. And we also thought it was really important to like be in a community where I was going to be at home, which I wasn't used to doing my Mm -hmm. job. Like I had to quit my job because I obviously couldn't work with what was going on. Um, So we wanted to be in a community. We wanted our daughter to to have a little bit of a different life. And so we just, we decided it's 45 minutes from, from sick kids. It was a big decision. Um, Are you in Hamilton? No, we're in Brooklyn. Oh, Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay. So it was a, a decision we actually like had to talk to our team about, you know, uh-huh. what does it look like for all of his stuff getting delivered and uh-huh. all of his medical medical gear um, and coming in and what hospital do we go to and how do we get transportation for emergencies? Like yeah. it was it was a big decision, but yeah. And what did you do, Julie, previously before? I was a director of education for an educational company. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Wow. And you're yeah. still not working. No. I mean, you're doing different work. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. So how do you spend your days then? Fuck. <laughs> Say it louder. Fuck. Fuck. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like I don't have enough time in the day. Yeah. Like by the time that everything is done with him. Is Owen home with you? He's home with me, oh, yeah. Wow. So okay. that's, a, that's he, a lot of that fucking That school work. is another problem, right? right? So like Dina was saying, the central line, if it gets any type of bacteria, that means like another sick child that has an infection right. or anything goes on. Um, he gets admitted to the hospital. So school right now is kind of that bubble Uh of, you know, what's safety and what's liability wise. If another kid grabs his chest, Uh like anything can happen. That's right. Um, so yeah, he's home with me. We have some nursing care, Uh uh, that helps out. And so I get a couple hours every day. Um, and we've got an amazing person who acts sort of as a little like teacher slash best friend of his Uh who comes in and, and plays and works with him every morning. So gives me relief for sure wow. but yeah i mean he's you're home with this kid i'm home with this kid and yeah. this kid gets admitted to sick kids all the time My so God. it's kind of we always have a bag ready and we're we're there that's your life yeah what's the longest you've not been admitted for or a merge visit or something probably like a month or two months uh-huh. i was yeah. gonna guess it was a month yeah yeah i'd say like yeah and the shocking thing is you know we were saying before about like clothes on it looks like a normal kid he is such a normal kid. Oh yeah. Like he's like Jason, my kid, normal kid. Like he, he is so funny yeah. and smart yeah. and energetic and like he just runs and plays and he's hilarious and he, of course. you know, yeah. yeah. And then he gets sick all the time. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. It sucks. And he's so medicalized, like medicalized. Is that a word? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, a great word <laughs> for a four year old. <laughs> sure. Yeah. He, um, he tells us like when he isn't feeling well, but he can tell you literally his entire setup. He can yeah. tell you what medications going in him. He can tell yeah. you what we have to do next. Like he knows every ounce of his body. He yeah. knows what his tubi and his central line and, you know, one time he got a new one and it was purple and he literally woke up in the PACU and was like, my line's purple now. Why? Uh. It's like, <laughs> all right, buddy. <laughs> so he's just, he's fully like. It's normal for him. Normal. Yeah. And has the growth now. It's, I mean, every day it's always going to be a struggle while he's on this TPN and mm-hmm. uh, TPN is the type of nutrition that he gets. And I think Dina can probably talk to a better than I can from a medical perspective, but it's also pretty dangerous for the organs. Um, it's not something you want long-term for anybody. And so that's the other side of the risk with what he has and what Mm. we're doing and how we support him. Um, TPN is kind of like worst case scenario for a parent, but also best case scenario to keep him living. Okay. Um, so I don't know if you want (coughs) to, sorry. Okay. So TPN is total parenteral nutrition. And that means that the nutrition he's getting is through fluids, through IV. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're having surgery or you can't be eating for a few hours because something's going to happen to you. For example, my leg, right? I was NPO, meaning nil per per, per us. I couldn't eat anything for 
whatever, it was 12 hours or 20 hours or whatever it was because I was going for surgery for my leg. So in those cases, they give you IV fluids and often, and you might get this in labor too, like if you have an epidural or whatever, mm-hmm. they'll give you salt water essentially. And salt water, sometimes you add some sugar to that, that mm-hmm. can keep you going for a couple of days, right? But then you're missing out on proteins and fat. And so for a kid that isn't tolerating anything by mouth... So like, we should go back to this actually. So if Owen eats, not only does he just lose it, but it's not just like he gets diarrhea, he has a lot of belly pain and mm-hmm. his belly blows up and blows up and it gets bigger. And his, and it's like having like really, really severe lactose intolerance every time he eats. It's like so do they remove the bowel? I mean, the intestine? No, everything's still in him, uh-huh. um, which that button on his tummy, we use syringes and pull everything out every time he oh eats. Oh my God. So like if he eats oh, a piece yeah. of pizza because he wants to go to a birthday party, they literally open that little button thing uh-huh. and syringe out the food so it doesn't go past the stomach into his intestine because that's going to cause him discomfort. Wow. Right? So you ask what I do in a day, like I vent the shit out of his stomach. So it's called oh venting. God. Yeah. So whether you open it up and just let air out because it's you know getting really gassy or whatever, or you literally pull out food. Sorry, guys. This is Elena's phone doing Sorry. weird stuff. Yeah. Like my time where my like, Siri went on and was asking me questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Owen can eat, but he can't absorb it. So they pull it off. So um, to keep alive, you have, to mm-hmm. have, you have to have, you know, salt, you have to have sugar, you, could have pro- you need to have protein, you need to have fat. And so TPN gives him those things in fluid and mm-hmm. it's like gross. It's like this yellow fluid stuff looks like pee sort of right? smells awful too. and it, like it's like thick whitish yellow pee stuff but yeah the danger of tpn is that it's totally artificial and over time it really pisses off your liver uh-huh. like that's the biggest thing so if you have to be on chronic tpn because your intestine doesn't work properly it's always a balance between not having too much of it and having like a super careful balance of how much protein how much fat um and this is really simplistic it's more complicated than this but um yeah the risk is is high that kids, people on chronic TPN develop liver failure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So let's, we've talked about the medical stuff a bit. Can we get a little like emotional into the heart stuff? Totally. Can you handle that? Okay. Yep. Have you become like an advocate for, for families who are dealing with chronic illness? Yeah, big time. So okay. I should, uh, I should say my husband is also like a rock star uh-huh. husband with all of this and like totally supportive. Um, but yeah, so when I was in the hospital and yeah. knew that I wasn't going to be working, it was a pretty tough, tough transition for me. So I got involved with, um, it's called the family advisory network. It's at the hospital and it's a way for families to support other families and a way for families to support initiatives at the hospital and kind of be, you know, a little more involved in different aspects So I did that right away, and that has led to then me being the family advisory. Um, It's a council, ultimately. It's a pretty high-level council at the hospital, being Mm -hmm. the family co-chair for that. So I I try and do as much as I can. I mean, I have my limits, too. Obviously, Mm -hmm. I'm a little run down right now. Yeah. But um, but whatever I can get involved in that makes an impact, I'm really focused on sort of the patient and family side of things yeah. and the experience and, and what that looks like because we've lived it and there's so many components. I mean, siblings, relationships, mental health, like everything. Yeah. Um, so I try and pick and choose the areas that are really meaningful to me. So you're an advocate. This kid has a chronic illness. You're spending 15 hours a day feeding him through, you know, also we talk about breaking bread right like food's supposed to taste a certain way it's supposed to you know as a mom you're supposed to like feed your kid like homemade meals that sort of thing and being stripped all away and feeding his kid on a two 15 hours a day and then being home with him and pumping his gut manually the other yeah you know you know nine hours and like being married and having a daughter right and and having wanting a life and stuff like that I think it's really important actually to mention Zoe, right? So like they have an older kid yeah. mm-hmm. who's a healthy and normal kid mm-hmm. and she's lived all of this because she was alive before Owen was alive. So the very many admissions when Julia or Brandon weren't present because right. someone has to stay with him 24 hours a day, how much time has been divided where she's had one parent at a time and right. not knowing when her brother or one of her parents would come home. What does all that look like? Like that's yeah. that's tough Do shit. you think that her identity is sort of, I'm, I'm a sister of somebody who have a sick kid? We have literally made this like our life's mission to make her as healthy and balanced as possible. And I think Brandon and I, when we first realized that Owen wasn't coming home, mm-hmm. um, we decided right away, Zoe was never being shuffled to anybody's house. She was never having sleepovers with people. It was either him or I. Mm-hmm. It was okay for us not to be together, but it was not okay for her not to have mum or dad. Um, and we've stuck true to that for almost four years. Mm-hmm. So 
I think we've we've done the best that we can to normalize it. We have her in the the types of, you know, therapies, I'll say that loosely, uh-huh. that um, support her and support siblings and support, you know, her anxiety a little bit. She worries for sure. She gets concerned when he's at the hospital. She asks tough questions for a six-year-old. Um, you know, he had a surgery to place a new line in and she wanted to know if he was going to die. Like it's, right. those are tough conversations to be having. But at the same time, she is hyper aware of how the schedule works. And she is hyper aware of when we swap, mm-hmm. where we meet in the hospital, what yeah. we do, what yeah. she is able to do. She's also crazy involved in his care. She's in charge of syringes. She's mm-hmm. in charge of getting what she believes to be like really important um, assisting, right. you know, pieces. Uh, so we try our best, but like if we're admitted and I'm at the hospital for 10 days straight and I come home and Brandon swaps off with me, I want to go to bed. Like mm-hmm. I really don't want a parent. I want to have my space. I want to have a shower. Of course. And, uh, and those are the hard times where you know that you need to like commit to making her feel just as important um, whatever it takes. And what is the prognosis? I guess maybe not the, is he, is he one in a million? Is there other children who have this? I mean, sick kids I know deals with extremely rare cases. Is he extremely rare? No. So he's, uh, he's part of a team. The gift team is, um, the group of improvement. And I should know the answer to that. Wow. Uh, what does gift stand for? You mean? Yeah, oh, I can never remember. I know. It's not I always intestinal failure. Or I always something. want to say intestinal failure, yeah. but it's a group not for even, improvement yeah. of blah blah okay. blah. But it's basically blah. the kids that have challenges with their gut. Yeah, okay. either part of their gut was cut out. You asked before, does he have his gut? So he mm-hmm. has because he's got her intestine. But some kids have had it cut out for various reasons, or some kids it just doesn't work properly. Right. That's the gift team at SickKids. Yeah, and so like we kind of identify with intestinal failure, and so intestinal failure can look very different for a variety of different kids. Yeah, and. Um, Owen has like severe dysmotility. He can't push things through. He can't absorb. And that's not necessarily rare. It's just we don't have the answer to how that's going to change in the future and what that's going to look like. So right. we don't have, you know, There's any... not a, a child who's 16 now who's been through this. We don't, know, we don't know what his diagnosis is. We He's don't been investigated know. so much uh-huh. and being biopsied and had genetics and had like everything. Uh-huh. And they've never been able to figure out he has X disease, which sucks in lots of ways, right? Because... Yeah you want to know what does X disease look like when you're 16 or 35 right. or 52. Will he outgrow this? Will it improve? God Will knows it get this, worse? I just got a shiver thinking that someone's going to listen to this podcast and maybe their kid is going yeah. through something similar. Oh my mm. God. So that's the question. As he gets older, right? What, what's, what, what, what's your vision of what you think it's going to happen? When you think oh. about Owen for the next 10 years. Changes every day. I yeah. mean, if... Dina and I were sitting together when he was one year old. I would, and I knew he was going on TPN and he was going to have this. I was already having conversations about like, okay, so in three months he's going to be off it and like, we'll work our way into this. Like that's just, things get thrown out the window. So I really try and work on, you know, week to week today, keeping him home. Like okay. if he's home, we are in a good place. Yeah. Um, when I think about long term, I mean, I know that what we're doing as parents, Brandon uh-huh. and I are setting him up for the most success that he can have in his situation. Amen, we're letting him do what makes him happy. We're yeah. letting our family do things that are important to us. Um, and hopefully that gives him, you know, the confidence to keep doing it as he grows and allows us to have that confidence because it's terrifying at the same time um, to let him do these things. Like it's, it's absolutely terrifying. I wonder if I always think about this. My mom became disabled later in life, like very physically disabled. She had, and it wasn't even a car accident or anything. Anyways, I always think about people who become disabled or become ill versus those who are born that way. Do you find a difference in maybe some of the women or moms you've spoken to who are raising kids who perhaps discovered intestinal gift, like gift family, (laughs) uh, I don't know, gift families that were like, oh, this happened when my kid was five versus you knew this was happening in neonatal. I feel like the gift kits are kind of early on. The gift kits are a lot. I'm sure you know lots of other chronic. I mean, sick kids, what people don't know on the inside of sick kids is the vast majority of kids are in and out, right? They come in for an illness or they break their femur or they have, you know, tonsillectomy, whatever the case is. But then there's thousands of families that are chronically unwell children that were either born with something or they have some genetic diagnosis or they have a motor vehicle accident or something changes in their life. And now forever on, they will be somewhat living at sick kids. There are 
hundreds, maybe thousands of kids that spend a lot of the year it's like it's in and out right. or really in like for months at a time. Right. And people get to know those families. You walk by the hall yeah. and be like, oh, hey, Janice. Oh, hey, Sharon. Oh, hey, Neil. Right. And they live at SickKids. Right. That's like a real thing. That's the SickKids family. So when people talk about like your SickKids family and your hospital family, it's totally real. Like these are not people like Dina's saying that are in and out. Like you don't, it, it, this sounds awful. Don't judge me for this. But you don't talk to the people that are in for a day that not. are leaving. You don't talk to the right. kids that are, you know in with a little bug and leaving in three days. Yeah. What you're doing is you're meeting on Wednesday nights to order pizza at the atrium windows on the sixth floor right. with your hospital family yeah. and actually laugh for an hour because you've all secured your nurse for that night to make sure that you can have two hours out of your room. Like oh my God. these are the things that happen. Um, and like literally scheduling time and having coffee hour with your sick kids family on like a Tuesday. Um, those are the real things that happen and right. understanding the venting, the crying, the laughing, because you're going through all these things together. And there's a core group of us that we were really, really close when we were in our, our kids were in the same hallway. We did everything together. And unfortunately one of Always little buddies. He passed away last year. It's actually a year ago this weekend. Oh my God. Um, and it was devastating for me. Like it was sure. It's devastating in general. But I mean, it was it was so hard because that was a mom who I connected with so well. We were part of the same team. We had the same stuff. We had the same doctors. We could talk to each other in ways that I couldn't talk with anybody other than my husband with. Yeah. And you lose that right away. You lose that. Um, when the child passed and when she moved away. And so those are the relationships that like yeah. that you develop. It's not necessarily with family. It's not necessarily with, you know, friends that you have in your life. Yeah. It's a shared experience that like even I don't understand, even though I understand it all. I don't live yeah. that, so I don't have that same experience, yeah. right? Yeah. And I would mention too that like you guys live close yeah. and you lived in Toronto before. A lot of these people that like live at Sick Kids, quote unquote, they don't live in Toronto. Right. They're like, They're literally moving that's a in. whole other thing. Like you come from like whatever Timmins and you have, you know, chronic care at Sick Kids, you're away from your entire support network. Sometimes around, away from your other family members. Like, like imagine yeah. if you guys live in Timmins, one parent is with Zoe and the other parent is with Owen yeah. for months at a time. Yeah. Yeah. It, and that's yeah. real like that's, that's real for a lot of real people and yeah. all over yeah um so like i said those relationships matter so much because even the simple thing of like when we would go home or i would swap and bringing extra clothes for a mom who hasn't been home in months who's wearing the same things and washing them at the ronald mcdonald house yeah. and just saying like here have some pajamas yeah i'll bring them home like don't worry that like solidifies a relationship right there right, of course. <laughs> you know yeah so wow. it's crazy. Yeah, someone else would know to bring you the pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or your favorite coffee. Or right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Or like yeah. Owen had surgery one time and I came into the room and there was a card, there was a coffee, there was a note and it said like, he's going to do great. And these are just random moms that are in the hallway that know what's going on yeah. and they don't need to put their names on there. They don't need to say anything else. Yeah, it's anonymous. That's so, so wonderful. I want oh to mention something that's like happy, not happy, but another kind of like thing that people wouldn't think about. So you guys wanted to go on vacation. Oh, Zoe wanted to go on vacation. Tell us about planning that vacation. We just we had Natty P on a couple of weeks ago. Talking yeah. about like, let's go to whatever. Let's <laughs> drive to Ottawa. Let's go to whatever Mexico. Yeah. Talk about your experience planning so, that vacation. I should preface this with Brandon and I traveled a lot and I traveled a ton for work internationally. So like traveling was totally normal and normalized for us with Zoe as well. So having a kid hooked up to a pump and with a TPN, which can't be exposed to light and needs to be at a certain temperature and can only be out four hours before you're going to use it, a lot comes with that and there's a lot of medical supplies. So traveling is just not something you do because it's very hard. Mm -hmm. um, so I was pretty committed last March. We were going away. We had been to Atlantis a few times in our past. So I was like, it's easy. It's three hours. We know the resort. We can make this happen. Zoe was over the moon. It was three months of the insurance company confirming that Owen would be covered and the medical supply company confirming I could get extra supplies and the airline confirming that they could take all of Owen's stuff on board and like the liquids getting getting done. There was, and the team confirming and medical appointments to make sure he was in the right space that he could go. It was not just like a let's book this and go. Of course not, yeah. So it took months and months of planning and the 24 hours before we left, we brought him into the hospital. He was 
fine. There was definitely something a little bit off where I was like, yeah, let's just get his blood work done. We're leaving. We want to know and have a baseline. Brought him in. His doctor, who is like world-renowned, the most amazing man on the planet, uh, Dr. Wales, put eyes on him, gave us the approval. His blood work looked okay. And we got on that plane. We landed, didn't have my phone on. I checked into the hotel, turned on my phone, and I had four missed calls from sick kids. His blood work from the day before had grown some very serious bacteria in his central line. And so what that means is that he is, literally his blood is getting infected with bacteria. So Directly to his heart. Directly to his heart. Like there's no good news about this. So we were told immediately, like, do not go up to the room, go right to the Bahamas um, uh, hospital and let us know when you get there and we need to have a plan with the doctor. So we go to the Bahamas hospital. There's a public and a private. Mm -hmm. You don't go to the public. We went to the private, Mm -hmm. which is a whole different situation in itself. Uh We get in and... um, we had a doctor who was willing to talk to ours. And so we FaceTimed. Mm-hmm. We had a plan of action. They did their own blood work. They're like, let's just check him. He looks pretty good considering mm-hmm. the the bugs that he's growing. And within eight hours, it was confirmed. He had some pretty serious um, bacterial infections going on. Now, Owen in the past has had these bugs mm-hmm. and he has gone septic, which is obviously the danger and the part where you can die. Mm-hmm. So sepsis means that there's bacteria floating around in your bloodstream and that's, you know, you risk dying. Yeah. So now we're in Bahamas and we've missed the daily flight to go home. And we are in a random hospital with one room and a pediatrician and we need to figure out like what to do. So we end up getting airlifted back through Atlanta and back home. His line is pulled in 24 hours and it was a month and a half long admission. Oh my God. Um, And it was serious. Like it was bad. And Zoe and Brandon ended up staying because we had made that decision before we left. If anything were to happen to Owen, I would head back. We weren't going to ruin a trip for her. Uh She would stay. So they stayed for the week. They had a blast. I kind of you know, withheld a little bit of the anxiety from Brandon because Mm -hmm. he was just totally on edge that he wasn't there to support. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he got home and it was like full-blown breakdown. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was awful. So then we went on his Make-A-Wish trip, which made up for everything. (laughs) But... (laughs) Oh my God. But yeah, it's... And like, I'm... I'm pretty good and I feel like I can handle a lot. I don't want to travel with him ever again right now like mm-hmm. i i can't i can't do it um yeah but disney was better right disney there was no issue disney was amazing but the amount of medical support you have through make a wish oh, yes. and the amount of um just support in general from start to finish knowing like at any point if anything went wrong it wasn't with me like it wasn't on me Whereas our vacation, like it was entirely on me working with insurance, the hospital, yeah. everything. It was, it was on us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, make a wish. Definitely Whoa. the way to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My God. And that's once ever? Once ever. And yeah. it was the best trip. Like yes. I don't, yeah, I don't regret doing it then. Yes. I think it was actually hugely important because like it was important for Zoe. It was important for Brandon and I. Yeah. Zo- uh, Owen had literally the time of his life. Like it was. <laughs> outrageous so yeah oh my god you see julie it's like herculean honestly and, and she's I, always like this she's always calm about it even when, yeah. when he's admitted like i'm sure you have your moments but she's always like fucking sucks but i'm admitted again like i'll catch yeah. her, like how is Zoe? Because i'll see on facebook oh it's fine whatever and i'm like jesus like yeah yes i mean i think i definitely have my moments like i definitely have my breakdowns where i hit my point and i just i need to cry yeah. i need to be angry um but at the same time like this is his life. There's nothing that I can do right now. There's nothing that I can change for him medically yeah. right now other than support it. And so if I were to be angry all the time, if I were to cry all the time, like that doesn't do anybody good. Yeah. doesn't help anybody in our home. doesn't help him. doesn't help me. So it's kind of one of those like roll with it, freak out when I need to, have my moments, cry into my pillow. I was going to ask what's your coping mechanisms, but you're sort of blow running for them. I go and get a blow, blow dry. dry. You know, it's <laughs> like, I literally will Brooklyn leave better have a good. Oh, they do. They okay. do. They've got, they've got my people. Uh-huh. I love them. Uh, yeah. But no, I will literally leave the walls of sick kids with a volunteer in his room and go find a place that can take me for a blow dry uh-huh. and feel better yeah. and walk back in. I'm like, I'm good. That's your thing. Yeah. It's that's a awesome. plane, I think. No, it's a siren. Siren. Oh, siren. Yeah. 
Um, Leave it to Julian and Siren. (laughs) (laughs) I I want to ask you three things. The first thing is, that's really close, that's Siren. Um, I know that a lot of uh, partnerships of, like the parents of kids that have chronic illnesses fall apart for very obvious reasons. Um, And I mean, I think the divorce rate in like of everyone is like more than 50% now. But obviously, if you're taking care of a chronically unwell kid and you're separate and you're pulling back and forth and you're dealing with another kid, that's got to be like so hard. Um, I don't know, like, I don't know what what you could speak to, but like you and Brennan seem pretty awesome. I think it was, it was those initial conversations like in the NICU. So Brandon and I kind of just realized what our, and I, I hate saying this, like it's not me, but what our kind of roles were within all of this. He, um, rules he, or roles? Roles. roles. Yeah. Okay. He works full time. He travels quite a bit and I was going to be home with Owen. So I just defaulted into the more of a caregiver role. Um, and he defaulted more towards the Zoe situation if we're admitted. So he tackles Zoe, I tackle Owen, and we know that that's how we work. And I think the the most important thing is we keep each other informed on every single level. Like there's nothing, if we're admitted, if if he's away, whatever that looks like, it's just constant communication. And we see the families that are breaking down and we see how it affects other people. And that's terrifying. Like that's not what we want. That's not what our marriage wants. Um, so I think, yeah, it's just about that like full blown commitment and communication. And he will fly back for a central line insert. Like he will fly back for a G tube insert. He will come down to the hospital you know, and work from the cafeteria of the hospital just so when I have my coffee, we can like be together. So we just make it work, you know? Yeah, I love when like Brandon will come down and like bring Zoe with dinner. So oh. he has like the four of them have dinner like at sick kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Brandon will bring Zoe back home. But like it's like normal, I guess, for you guys. But totally. I'm sure, inc- I mean, normal marriage is stressful. Normal child rearing is stressful. You, what, what I see from you guys is you tend to have like this very like, it is what it is. We're just going to get this shit done. Yeah. And we're just going to like, you know, kind of just routine. Figure and, it like, out. Just, it's sort of like normal. Yeah. And you just roll with it as normal. Totally. And that's exactly what it is. And like I said, like it's critically important for us all to see each other. I want to see Zoe when I'm at the hospital with Owen. I want to, you know, have a hug and a kiss and, and see my daughter and I want to see my husband and he wants to be around Owen when he's sick. Like Mm -hmm. what parent doesn't want to be around their sick child. So it works both ways. Like it's one of those things where you just, you do what you need to do. Um, but there's times like he pulls into the circle at sick kids, the car is running. We are switching in the elevator and giving each other a hug, swapping Zoe and getting into the car and going. Cause it's like a bad time with traffic or whatever it looks like. So yeah. it, it works in mm-hmm. every way. It's, it's so crazy that you moved far away and you do those kind of swaps. Yeah. But I feel like life quality of life is, is better, good. Right? Yeah. yeah. Quality of yeah. life is really good. It's what we wanted. It's what we pictured for ourselves and, uh, and for our kids and like, the days that always home, like it's awesome. Like there's, I, I can't complain. It's, it's a shit drive and it's cr- like awful when I need to go in for, you know, a nine o'clock blood work, like kill me, but it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. When Julie was like, I'm going to move out of the city. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, I, I think everybody yeah. said that to us. I'm like a 10 minute drive from sick kids and that stresses me out if I, yeah. if I had a sick kid, right? But, but yeah. you guys made it work and you're happy yeah. with it. Yeah. You can always move back if you needed to, but you haven't wanted to. It's good. 100%. Yeah. Totally. Julie, yeah. it's so unbelievable because I have to say, I preface by saying, oh, you're like our non-textbook. You are a fucking expert on this shit, man. Like you should write a dissertation. I'm non-educated. Yeah. No, like, you could write a dissertation on, on first of all, you're, I mean, on the outset of knowing you for the last hour, like your attitude and your, you're just like, you're, you're exuberating this like crazy, just factual, totally. I want to cry every minute that we've been sitting here, <laughs> but you're like, just, this is our life. And it's, you know, I have to say when I went to sick kids with my kid, I was there what four times this past two months. I was like, God, I'm leaving. I'm going and I'm, I'm leaving. I'm walking and I'm walking out. Half the people I saw are not fucking walking out. So I think my lucky stars, and even though like we complain about certain things and, you know, middle-class privilege or whatever it is, or like, oh, I didn't sleep five hours last night. Like I tried sleeping at sick kids hospital. It was really fucking hard. And I only had to do it two nights. So I couldn't even imagine like what it means for you. And I'm so excited that anyone who's donating, I just, I think we made like a pretty significant donation to sick kids after ESSO was out. I cannot wait for this expansion. That that fucking hospital needs needs a huge facelift and so much care. Um, I was going to ask you if you know, like, are they 
creating these like little nuggets, like these closets of like, I don't know, pajamas for moms <laughs> who don't know. Like, are they being innovative in that way? I mean, they're being super innovative. It's uh, it's called Project Horizon that they're they're naming it and it's the new hospital and they've already dug like ground is started, yeah. right? So that's one of the projects that I'm super passionate about and that I actually get to be a little bit involved in. Yeah. And the side that I get to be involved in is planning out what the patient rooms look like and what the clinic space looks like for families. Cool. So it's actually amazing to kind of have an impact on this would make life way easier here. Having sibling space in a patient's room or family space would actually drastically change, you know, yeah. our experience. Yeah, because the playrooms are not allowed for siblings on exactly. those floors. That's hard. Yeah. So things yeah. like that, like and that's what I mean. Like I get passionate about it and I want to be involved. So I want to uh, want to keep going with that. Tell us about the beads. I don't think people know what the beads oh, are. The beads. The beads are a love hate. Like the beads represent any procedure or anything done to the child while they're admitted or while they're in the hospital. So they're called bravery beads. And it's a program that the women's auxiliary uh, puts on through the hospital so at first we actually didn't collect them because I was like, no, we're going to be gone. This is like going to make me cry. I can't handle it. And then um, it was one of our nurses actually who nurses just have like a crazy impact on you. But it was one of our nurses who said, I think you should do it. And I think you should be proud of like what he's overcoming and what he's having. Mm. So we went back and they went through his chart and kind of gave us the starter kit. I want to call it of what those beads were and every admission all of a sudden it was like another string and another string because some of his admissions are really long and sometimes he has a lot done during those admissions so like blood work iv lines scoping putting yeah. a tube in all gets a different beads. yeah, yeah. going yeah. under all anesthetic like all those types of things are different beads yeah so um so yeah some of them like i actually know the ones that were given to me for certain things for him and, uh, and yeah, that will make me emotional mm -hmm. because I see them and he literally swings those around. They hang in his room. Mm -hmm. He talks about them all the time. Like he, to him, it's such a positive thing. And he asks if he's going to get beads for certain things when he goes to the hospital. Yeah. Um, so we keep it that way for yeah. sure. But, uh, but some of them are like hard pills to swallow. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Tell me about being part of the campaign for the sick kids versus limits. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Um, was he in the commercial? He's in the commercial. Crazy. He is on buses. He's all over the place. Like he's <laughs> Oh, and Rose. So actually, it's a funny story. I was went to one of his appointments and we're driving and I have the music on and we're chatting and yeah. he goes, "Mummy, there's me." <laughs> and I'm like, "Where's you, buddy?" And he's like, "There's me." And I'm like, "Where Does is he have a you?" Lisp? He's got a lisp like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. And he's like, "That's me right there." And next to us was his bus. <laughs> I lost my shit. I was it's like huge. It's like waving like down the bus tall. driver. I'm like, oh, I need a picture. <laughs> I rolled down his window. I'm like, that's him. Um, but it's pretty neat. Yeah. Like it's, it's one of those things, you know, you walk through the Eaton center and all of a sudden it's like, boom, boom, boom. Or yeah, it's crazy. Oh my God. What an experience. Does he understand? I guess he does if he saw his face on a bus. Yeah. At first he would get really embarrassed, which Oe is not like he's a, pretty outgoing kid but okay. he would like get very embarrassed and now he says I'm so famous <laughs> you're like yep you are but it's also pretty cool because when he started playing on his little hockey team like yeah. we had to let everybody know and we had to be very like hyper aware of who was on the ice and you know being aware of his body and these are little three and four year olds and so um, the parents like we just had like this instant bond and you know they get it their little boys are skating next to him and it was one of those moments and all of a sudden you know they're sending me pictures with their kids standing in front of his picture oh my God. and they're sending me messages of like how inspiring it is that like he's with them and those are the those are the things that like wow those are warm fuzzies yeah those are crazy warm oh fuzzies it gives it all like a purpose right like there's a reason totally. for all this in some way yeah, yeah. um I have two questions about your advice for. So my first would be, you know, you, I think, I think one of the great things about sick kids is there's a lot of support and like, you know, you've, you know, consistent nursing staff and consistent friends in the clinics, et cetera, for whether you have great support or you don't, do you have any, you know, advice for families of kids that also have other chronic illnesses? Like, are there particular places to get support or... Yeah, it's a tricky one because I think I actually pushed away so much of the support at the beginning. 
I was not aware of like the mental health impact that he was having on me and that our situation in our life was having on me. So it took um, our complex care physician, Dr. Orkin, to literally stand in my room one day and say, here is the name of somebody you need to go talk to. Uh So that was done because of the relationship and because of the support internally. Um, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where a lot of the families that are living in there, we're all going through the same thing and we're such a huge support system for ourselves. So when we know of something positive that's happening or like, this is a really good social worker and she really helped with these forms, everyone wants to, to work with that person or everyone wants to go see this therapist, um, or programs that, you know, sick kids puts on for just caregivers and not just the kids stuff it's getting actually the courage to go. Mm. It's really like being able to say, yeah, I actually need some support and I'm, I'm going to attend this and I'm going to put myself out there and go to a, uh, you know, meditation session that I don't know what I'm going to do, but because otherwise you'd feel like it was what weakness. I, I don't know if it's weakness as much as it is like, how how do I fix myself? How do I fix my feelings? I don't have somebody like guiding me through this. I can't do it on my own. And then you're working kind of with like your husband or whoever it is and you don't have a stable source to tell you to do it. Mm. Um, it takes it takes courage. Like, I don't know. It just felt weird being in the hospital, walking down a hall, leaving my kid with a volunteer to go to a session about myself. I see. Like it, yeah. I felt guilty yeah. doing something for me. And I still do to this day. Like when I have those couple hours in the morning, I feel guilty doing, you know, anything self related. Um, because I feel like everything should be to help him. But it also helps you, of course. Like, yeah. I think if to help you helps him. Exactly. But, right. you yeah. know, sometimes yeah. you just wear yourself out. Yeah. And of course. I can imagine it must be really hard to, to be like, okay, there's this yoga session. I think it'd be really good for me. But I have all this other shit to do. And, oh, he has this and that. And I have to do this and this. How do you, like, put the time to do that when you know yeah. there's other things to happen? Even though, you know, just like going to the gym, people don't want to go to the gym, but they know it's going to make them feel better. Yeah. It's that, you know? Totally that. And also, when you're in the hospital, you don't know who's coming in the room. You don't know when the doctors are stopping Mm -hmm. by. You don't know what tests are scheduled at what time. And you feel, if I go down that elevator to get that coffee, I'm going to miss the time that they come. If I go to that session, I'm going to miss the time that they come. And I mean, that's why you're in there. So, yeah, there's Mm. guilt. Yeah, I I just thought about a few technologies that probably help solve that. (laughs) <laughs> well, people, they, 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 they usually just call your cell or whatever, but yes. Yeah. But they're rushing to the next patient. They just want exactly. to get on with the day. And sometimes and, they peek yeah. in and mom's not there and they yeah. just, they'll come Bounce. back, you know, in the afternoon. And yes. then all of a sudden just from hours. noon till five o'clock, you are not leaving that room yeah. and you are not walking outside the walls. There's been days in a row that I haven't left the outside, like I haven't left the walls of sick kids to go walk outside. Because you want to make sure you're there when the doctor comes, when they want to get the IV, you want to be there for your kid who's getting the IV. Julie, my question for you is this, and it just dawned on me, is that you've had, Zoe is, like was a normal birth, normal delivery, and a a very healthy child. Does that understand? So somebody who's been through that, and then when Owen, when when you went to labor with Owen, like... Do you want to talk about it or no? Oh, yeah. We, we also don't have to talk about it. Oh, anything. no. I'm totally. We should have prefaced by saying we actually totally tell our guests. Open. Don't let worry. us know if there's anything off the record. And we didn't actually say that with you. We should have. I'm sorry. Don't worry. She yeah. knows it, though. I'm cool. She knows it. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, Zoe was totally normal. Um, when did you deliver her at 40 Well, weeks? she was, no, she was 36 weeks, but um, yeah. but like everything was healthy uh-huh. and we were home. Um, with Owen, I actually got admitted five weeks before and I was on bed rest at St. Mike's. Oh, wow. So I, uh, you know, everything was kind of different from there on in. And I think the, the hard thing is when you've had a normal birth experience, you've had a baby who is, you know, at that point, Zoe was two, everything was on track, every growth chart, you know, coming into your office and seeing that curve, was exactly what a parent wants to see. Right. Now I have this kid where I, I'm not going to see a curve. I'm not going to see anything normal. I'm not going to see anything that I saw with my first. It's all new. But you compare. You compare everything still. That was my question, I guess. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And it's it's awful because, yeah. you know, the way that they cry in the NICU with these like babies that are so tiny sounds like a screech. Did Zoe ever cry like that? Do you remember that? Like it's yeah. things like that you go crazy over because right. you're comparing to the only thing you know. Right. Um, but it's so not something that's fair. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I mean, I've had two healthy kids and yeah. and I still compare them all the time. Right. And I yeah, try like, really you know, did, to. When was their first word? When did they take their first yeah. step? Like oh. people compare that shit and like. Yeah. Yeah, it's like not even a little bit of the comparison. And I wonder about parents whose first child are chronically ill and then yeah. having a second child, what that experience is like. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to that one. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. But I think that you bring up another point. It's like that's one thing that I'd say gets me to my core is hearing the parents who have normal, healthy children ask me questions about when did he start walking? Oh, when did he start doing this? And you just want to tell them to fuck off. Like you just want to say, go. Like you don't understand anything about this kid. The fact that he is here doing what he's doing is beyond anything imaginable. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a natural thing with parents. It's a connecting, you know, conversation on, I don't have much to talk about. How was your baby? How did they sleep? How did Uh they do that? It's like, just walk away. Yeah. Like, it's funny. In my mommy community, I, we sort of cast a wide net and the net often falls on just like typical first time healthy parents and once in a while we'll have families who sort of raise their hand and be like is there anything for kids or parents who have like chronic illness or kids and i'm just like i mean you can come we don't have like our own separate subdivision for parents whose kids are chronically ill but i don't know i don't i don't really know how to talk i don't really know how to tackle that i'm not sure if it's it's part of our fight song but i wonder if it should be I, i don't know Something I'm thinking about. Yeah, and I think once we moved and I wanted to get OE involved in more things, you know, I wanted him to go to an activity, but going to that activity was so anxiety-ridden for me because if there was a sick child, if there was, you know, a kid that threw a ball and hit him at his chest for the first time of him being there, like there were so many things that I played out. Um, and so it was a, it was a huge struggle to go first of all. And then you're contacting the organization and you're letting them know, and then they want you to sign waivers. And then all of a sudden it's this thing. And then he's different. Um, that was a problem. And I remember going to this like mommy group and it was kind of like a sport ball type of event. Mm -hmm. And this kid had croup. And I was like, am I actually here? Like, am I actually putting my kid who actually, he also has a narrowed airway. Mm -hmm. Am I putting him at risk? I walked away and I was like, we can never go back. Like that was the end of it for me. I was like, we can never be around other children. Like it was so hard to overcome. And still to this day, like when kids are sick or when, you know, we have events for families and stuff, if people are are sick, then we're we're not going or we're not hosting. Mm -hmm. That's all there is to it. And then here I am with, well, I was going to say, how do you deal with Zoe? Because Zoe's got to get sick. She totally gets sick and we try our best. Like she she changes her school clothes. She is the best hand washer and sanitizer on the planet. Um, she knows that when we're doing sterile dressing changes, when we're doing anything with his tubes or anything, she's in a different room and we like that's when Brandon kind of works with her and does her thing and I do the care for Zoe. Mm-hmm. Um, so she is hyper aware of how important it is. Yeah. Um, but you know, she comes home and if she's sick, then we kind of work on, on different degrees of who has what space and where and how and yeah. hand washing and all yeah. that. You quarantine where you need oh to. Oh my God. Yeah. Laundry. I think, I think year by year, every, every year he gets older, it'll be so much easier. He'll get yeah. so many fewer viruses, et cetera. Do you have a plan for him for school? So I, I registered him. Yeah. I don't know. Oh God. <laughs> I registered him. Um, from public school. Yeah, okay. for JK. And I, I am taking the mentality if he goes once, if he goes for a month, if he goes for the year, I'm going to be okay with it. Yeah. Like I'm going to give him the experience if we can. We're going to set up everything we can in terms of nursing for his access time as well. The school will have, you know, extra EA support, hopefully, <laughs> with what's going on right now. Um, but we'll do whatever we can to set him up in the best possible way that, and we live two minute walk from the school and, you know, I will probably be at home the whole time that he's at school, but I'm going to try, Yeah. you know, and if he starts picking up new bugs and he starts doing things like things that are, are not his normal, gets more admissions, things like that, we'll have to reconsider. We'll have to like look at it. Try. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, JKSK, I'm not concerned about. Grade one is where I obviously will care more, but we'll try. You know, yeah. good for you. Yeah. People have like normal fears while starting JK. There's something about JK that, like, even for my normal, very healthy, thank God, kids, it's like this big thing. JK is this big thing. You know, I can't imagine it's so much, yeah. so much more stress. I just, I think about like the kids and the playing and touching and the illness and sanitizing and like the importance behind it. And, you know, I get if kids are sick and they go to school, like I totally get that. Um, but the impact it has on him is just so significant. Like I just want to know so I can keep him home. Like it's yeah. those yeah. types that's of like stressors. All, all year though. I mean, there's someone in the sick in the class all year, right? Thank you. You're not helping the cause. <laughs> but it's, that's real, right? I mean, normal, I'm like everyone has, it's not, you know, it's no big deal, but it, you know, it's a really big deal. Like totally. a, a group that's like not like OE, but also so much stress around like kids on chemo, right? Kids that have had cancer totally. or going through those kind of things. And it's a much, 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 bit, sadly a bigger group of than, than intestinal failure. But those parents too have so much anxiety because their immune systems are just not robust, right? Right. And, and, uh, and anything can make them incredibly unwell and, yep. you know, potentially die. So it's a very stressful kind yep. of group. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I question myself all the time. Like, why am I putting him in that situation? Why are we doing this? But again, it kind of circles back to us, like normalizing life and letting him be a kid too. Sure. Absolutely. So it's the balance. He's such a social kid too. He's so oh going and so social and like... Yeah, I'd be sad. To I keep swear him home. he high fives more kids on the walk to school and like <laughs> yeah, crossing guard. He'll be like, "Hi, Paul. How's your day?" Like he just—he's so social. He I couldn't awesome. imagine him not being around uh -huh. kids. So I—I I don't know. I—I'm like so inspired, Julie, and like sad at the same time, but not—not not like um. It's not like I have like empathy I feel empathetic I feel like this created empathy for me mm -hmm. and I think I think that's a special thing for us to do here today so if there's one thing you want our listeners to know Julie what well, you know we have a very diverse listenership what is it you want them to know about about uh, parents supporting children through chronic illness yeah I think it's um for sure, you just never know what's going on with kids. So, you know, take it easy on parents sometimes. Take yeah. it easy on families because, like I said, if you saw our family walking down a street when he's unhooked, you would have no idea. Um, <coughs> but that could be, you know, the first time that Owen's outside walking from being in the hospital for two months. So I'd say, yeah, take it easy on, on families that you don't know. And, um, and also the importance of just being aware and, and being diligent with your own children because the impact it has on these types of kids is, is so huge. And for parents who have children with chronic illness, as yeah. a advocate, as a the co-chair of sick yeah, kids. Yeah, I mean... What do you want to say to the parents who are who have children who are sick? I am here for you. Like, yeah. I am 100%, like, this is, you know, my new shift in life and my commitment. This is your fight is, song. Yeah, this yeah. is my fight song. And it's to make, you know, the patient and family experience for all of us better. Like, yeah. it's to, to change the way that medicine is happening in the hospital, the way that people work together. Um, to make it about the family and about the patients. Julie, if someone wanted to connect with you or the work you're doing, how would somebody find this community or support group? Or if we have parents who are kids are chronically ill and they don't even know that this exists, where? Yeah, I mean, I'm on social media. I'm not like. What's your name on social? Uh, Julie E N S. So J U L I E E E N N S. Okay. Um, I, I want to know if you have any advice for, um friends who don't have kids with chronic illnesses how like what would your advice be if you now have a friend that has a kid with a chronic illness like what what do you need I mean and obviously you're different than any other person but how could we support friends that have kids mm -hmm. that have issues yeah whether it's short term or long term for sure and I think the most important thing um that I've realized through the last few years with this is that I need the the mental support I need to be able to talk through what's been going on because it's heavy and it's hard um and that's the probably like the first and foremost thing that I would talk to a good friend about is setting something up right at the beginning um that they feel comfortable and confident to to go and and have that support because you can have some high highs and you can have some great weeks and days and a good month. Um, but when those lows happen and when you're sitting, you know, in a operating room, waiting room, 
you can go places you just don't want to go. You know, when you're flying back from the Bahamas and you've got a kid that's been septic before, you are thinking about, you know, how do you tell your husband when you land that your child's not alive? You're going places that you just, <coughs> you can't go. So it's, um, yeah, it's really getting that support in place. So just be present. Be just present. Just be there to listen. Be Yeah, big time. Awesome. I've heard people say before, like, you know, offer to do their laundry, get them groceries. It's just like, do the shit that you don't, that like the normal everyday shit that yep. you wouldn't otherwise do, you know, yeah. hi- help them clean their house or hire a cleaning lady for them. It's like exactly. the stuff that yeah. you don't, you don't want to do yourself and you certainly don't want to do if you've been in hospital for yep. last month. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Instacart's yeah. a thing. <coughs> Julie, we usually ask each other what they've, what like, what did you learn anything new today, Gina? I always love hearing how you talk about this terrible shit that you guys are going through and mm. how it's, positive in some ways right like it was already you already had this positive framework about yeah. it even before the versus campaign so yeah I'm, I'm, I was, when when i heard about it and i knew they were going to use patience i didn't even know you guys were doing it and of course you were doing it but uh but i was like oh, okay this is like this is good this is you know yeah. something positive coming out of something so shitty yeah totally yeah amen Totally. I, th- I think you really are. Maybe, as I say, I, I eat my words when I say that you are an expert in this industry. And obviously, this is a this could this is unbelievable. I hope somebody's listening, and that this, if 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 you are not, if you're completely in a bubble and unaware that there are sick kids out there, there's fucking sick kids out there, <laughs> and it's not it's not a cold, right? This isn't hand, foot, and mouth. This is chronic illness. So let us all be a little bit more empathetic, not sympathetic, but empathetic for ourselves in the shoes of somebody like Julie, who's a mom. I mean, I look at this photo of your gorgeous fucking kid, but I'm like, where's your face, baby? <laughs> Come on, Julie. <laughs> like the next campaign should be the moms of kids with sick kids. I mean, I saw that one campaign they did, and oh my yeah. God, that's a real tearjerker, but... Thank you for being here. Thank you, Thank you so for much. Sharing this your, has been awesome. Thanks for driving from Brookline. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> to you. Schlepp. I know. And this was Moms That Say Fuck. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We hope you really enjoy the content. We are eager to chat with the most interesting people about topics you care about. Please connect with us on social media at Moms That Say, at MomsTO, and at Dr. Dina Kulik, and share your comments, requests, and to continue the conversation. If you want to hear more, click subscribe and rate us too. We're all about the feedback because this podcast is for you. Have a great rest of week. Until next time.